Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to another episode of What Next. Today we have an extra special guest, a long-term colleague and friend of mine, a true pioneer in the world of sports, television, and marketing. His name is John Kosner. And John is an internet pioneer with four decades of sports media expertise. Today, he is the president of Kostner Media, a digital media and sports consultancy, and is an investor and advisor in sports tech startups. In 2021, with Ed Desser, he wrote the media analysis contained in the NCA External Gender Equity Review, which resulted from the disparate treatment of men and women's basketball championship. Before that, along with the late NBA Commissioner Emeritus David Stern, he created Micromanagement Ventures, a portfolio of sports technology startups focused on media betting and player health. And before that, and that's when I first met him, he he spent 21 years at ESPN, where John built ESPN into the world's leading digital sports destination. He also struck ESPN's original streaming deal with BAMTech, which led to Disney's acquisition of Major League Baseball's technology firm in 2016. He's been awarded during his long tenure at ESPN, several awards, Sports Business Journal Award at ESPN, in fact, its annual award for best in digital sports media five times in 10 years, and named John the most influential in online media in 2008. He's appeared in all kinds of magazines as a powerful, influential figure, and he's been nice enough to join us after a sushi dinner in Chicago, where I invited him. Welcome, John. It was a fabulous dinner. So you had me at yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've got an amazing background. And, you know, working backwards, I think the common theme besides innovation is sports. So what got you into this world of sports? When I was a kid growing up in New York City, I loved sports, but I specifically loved sports on television. And my idol was Rune Arledge, who was at the time, the executive producer of ABC Sports, he became the president of ABC News as well. And I was mesmerized by how TV networks um, produce sports events. I would read Sports Illustrated magazine cover to cover. And as a kid growing up in New York City, I dreamed of the kind of products that I would work on later, products that would combine live sports with the ability to get a score anytime you wanted, that had narrative storytelling that we saw in Sports Illustrated and photography. And I'm probably one of the only people you'd ever meet who got to work on exactly what he hoped to work on growing up. And the other thing I would say is, and this is kind of a theme, um, when I worked at Disney for a long time, Steve Jobs was the number one shareholder. Uh, they had bought Pixar. And Steve was not a sports fan, but Bob Iger set up a meeting one time with him. And a couple of things he said to me I never forgot. One was, beware the status quo. And I've spent a lot of my career, similar to how you have, I believe, Rashad, looking at emerging technologies and new things and always being not disrespectful, but suspect of just the way that we do things and wanting to challenge that notion and to try to do things 
better, you know, not different for different sake, but better. So I've always sort of focused on what's the best approach that we could bring to a problem now, not what we have done historically. Well, one of the big things that Steve obviously left the world with was think different, which is also the way you look at it, which is you look at things differently. And that actually is a good segue into your first of the three points you'd like to make. I'd like to set it up with the reality, at least from the outside world. It appears in much of the world and definitely in the Western parts of the world in the United States. What's keeping linear television alive to a certain extent is sports. And, you know, clearly right now with Apple, Amazon, and a whole bunch of people bidding also for sports, uh, you might think, look, sports has got it set, television and sports is all fine, but you are basically saying not enough. We need to innovate even further. So the first point I wanted to make is that the experience and interface really matters going forward. You and I, Rashad, grew up in an era of media scarcity. Today's environment is the opposite. It's media abundance. And now sports needs a plan for new, younger audiences that have grown up with smartphones, social media, video games, fantasy, and betting. And when you ask leaders in sports what keeps you up at night, this is almost always the, the point they focus on is how are we going to interest young fans? And of course, to your first point, we're still talking about sports here, and sports is unique. You need to watch it live. It's content that isn't replicable. As a matter of fact, I would argue it's the only thing that unifies us. People watch sports habitually. The best TV series routinely will run out of gas, you know, six or seven years. Sports is evergreen, and yet it's always different. Ohio State and Michigan have played each other 119 times, and yet this year's game, which was tremendous, drew 19.1 million viewers. And for advertisers and marketers, and this is, this is certainly your background, bailiwick expertise, sports is the best. It offers that kind of audience reach. It's brand safe. And in this new world of streaming, it's the only genre, the only content where you can reach everyone, where you can reach all income and all demos. You're not given a choice between whether you want an ad-free or, or, or ad experience. And, you know, you talk about how we make decisions with, with both our hearts and our mind, and that's sports. But the industry yes. has traditionally generated the vast preponderance of its value through the licensing of exclusive rights to live games. And as you said, principally through the pay television bundle. So what are the kinds of experiences and interfaces that we're talking about going forward? And I think it's a cliche, but we are headed to lean forward experiences versus lean back. One of my favorite epic um, innovations in sports media is the NFL Red Zone. And that's tremendously popular among young fans, especially now that we enter into the sports betting era. The NFL, of course, is the most popular sport by far in the United States, and it has a regular Sunday schedule of games, typically 1 o'clock, 425, and 820. 
The NFL, of course, also plays on other nights of the week, like Thursday and Monday. But the innovation that the NFL came up with was a program called Red Zone, which basically runs all Sunday afternoon and takes fans. It's a whip around format. The Red Zone is the 20 yards between the goal line and the 20 yard line. So anytime a team it gets to the 20 of the other team or within the 20, they're in the red zone. And so the red zone is kinetic. It's jumping from, from game to game, from, from score to score, which is perfect for fans who in, are in, involved and interested in fantasy sports. It's perfect for betting, and it's very entertaining. Rashad, you know, you might like watching three and a half hours of the Chicago Bears, but many people would prefer to just see the best plays. So that's a key innovation. Yeah, and today watching three and a half hours of the Chicago Bears is a torturous experiment in basically seeing defeat (laughs) upon defeat. So I don't think anybody likes that. In basketball, the NBA's new in-season tournament is an example of a new interface enhancing the regular season. They also do a play-in tournament now where where teams on the bubble have to play a single elimination tournament in order to get into the NBA playoffs. Combat sports are increasingly popular. And one of the reasons I believe, besides the kinetic nature of the action, is that it's fairly brief. A UFC bout is three five-minute rounds, you know, five five-minute rounds for a championship bout which is a shorter shorter duration than what, say, a Major League Baseball game is or a full NBA game. The, uh, the overtime elite startup basketball league, most of the action there, although Amazon Prime puts the games on live, most of the action there is seen on social media networks where kids are tuning in to the highlights. So, you're seeing now an evolution of different type of experiences that don't require one to sit on their couch for four hours. You think about, Rashad, think about the progression of scores in our lifetime. When I was growing up here in New York City, I would get scores on AM radio and they would be AM news radio and they would be available at 15 and 45 after the hour. So you'd sit around waiting for the sports, the sports reporter to get on. Then there was sports phone. And I remember I called sports phone so, so consistently <laughs> that I still remember the phone number, 212-976-1313. When cable TV got started and all of a sudden you had CNN headline news, they launched a ticker and you could get scores off the ticker. ESPN got going and then you had the bottom line. The internet made scores ubiquitous. And today, with Apple's live activity, you can get scores on the lock screen of your smartphone. That's the way that things are emerging now. And it's going to look different. Absolutely. So, you know, so two or three of the new changes in the interface. One is things have begun, as you say, more kinetic. Things have been squeezed, made much faster. So everything seems like immediate, you know, whether it's the red zone or anything of the sort. That's one. Second is you can get all the scores you want whenever you want, and they're personalized to you. So you follow your teams in addition to anything uh, you know else. 
Um, we've also now added this betting layer. Speak a little bit about that because it seems like betting is the big thing that's going on. Betting is the big thing that's going on. You have legalized sports betting in the United States. Obviously, for any of the listeners around the world, this is old hat, but it's really just the last few years in the United States, and it's rolling out state by state. And it's been a financial boon to the sports industry with big advertising and marketing budgets, uh, a lot of customer, customer acquisition. But even here, we've seen interesting innovations and changes. Young fans, and I believe this is the influence of fantasy and social media, young fans are frequently more interested in the players than the teams right. they follow. So consequently, if you talk to the leaders of FanDuel and DraftKings, the, the duopoly currently in sports betting, they would tell you that most of the action is on same-game parlay bets, where you might bet that Devin Booker is going to get over 10 assists or LeBron James over eight rebounds. So it's, uh, it's, it's almost like you've, got a, you've personalized even beyond your sports team. It's personalized down to the players that you particularly want to follow. Right. And this is all happening really before the major advent of artificial intelligence. One of the companies I'm involved with is called WSC Sports, and they're an Israeli-based company, and they use computer vision to create and distribute sports video highlights, which is some of the most valuable format that exists in sports. The NBA, which is an early investor in WSC Sports, formerly did that work manually, cutting video highlights every night. So let's say they would cut 75 clips. Now, with WSC, they do thousands of clips every night. Rudy Gobert highlights in French are syndicated in France. And that's just the start. You know, so this idea of, of sort of persistent and amazing personalization is coming. Got it. So interfaces obviously matter because you have lean in versus or lean forward versus, you know, lean back far more personalized, far faster, AI turbocharges it, gaming and gambling puts a financial, you know, further kick into it. In addition to making it more interesting because I got money on the game, it also obviously funds the ecosystem, which is why your own line of work, um, ESPN, even though if it's owned by Disney, has now entered into ESPN betting by partnering with the old, I guess, Barstool Sports, which is no longer Barstool Sports. They bought that off. But um, that seems to be pretty remarkable. And I, and I sort of recall this line that life is sports, and it's increasingly it looks like every part of our life is being sportified. I would also say that sports has seen the influence of video games. Yes. And in my last few years at ESPN, we got interested in esports and that phenomenon. John Madden, the big, big John Madden games. Right. And our, our, our thesis 10 years ago or so was that video games were going to follow sports. And esports was an example of that. But I believe the truth 
is that sports is following video games. That's interesting. And if you look at the interfaces of the future, they look much, much more like video games. And why? Because video games are ubiquitous. Yes. They're the default entertainment for young generation all around the world. Even when you watch NFL games or international football matches, they look much more like the Madden and FIFA games with the camera angles and approaches than those games look like broadcasts. And I think what supports that is a couple of things when you talk about interfaces and the world of sports, not only the interfaces of the world of sports for the reasons you've described have changed, but sports is impacting the interface of everything else. And uh, you know, to your point, uh, Microsoft just closed its $68 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard. And, you know, to a great extent, you could have gaming as the new interface versus Windows. Second is the only thing that actually is very, very popular on Oculus Quest are all the gaming uh, applications. Um, And, you know, to a great extent, there are two things that lead the future historically in the world of technology. One has been pornography and the other has been sports. And this particular, you know, R-rated or PG-rated uh, podcast only covers the sports part of it. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> that moves to our sort of our second point, which is a community building. So, you know, one, you say the future of sports is about experience interface, which we've discussed. The second is community building. Can you speak a little bit about that? So I'll try to set it up a little bit. But for my entire career, traditional pay television, we, call, we called it cable TV, has been both the bank and the megaphone for sports, but that's all changing now. Sports Today actually has an access problem. There's a research group called SSRS that published an opinion piece in the Sports Business Journal a couple weeks ago, said that two-thirds of the U.S. now have a paid live television subscription. That's down from 75% five years ago and 85% 10 years ago. And there are tons of challenges and problems posed here. We're not going to get to all of them. One of them is just the access that kids have in their household to live sports, which sports can have to address. But with all of the things going on in the world and the fragmentation of audience, the development of social media, I would argue that the most important thing is for sports and people in sports to be able to aggregate their audience. They need to be able to put their community of followers together. I mentioned before, fans increasingly root for players more than teams. That's the effect, I believe, of both fantasy games and social media. NBA players are like Marvel superheroes for kids. So forward-looking leagues, I believe, are going to work with their athletes and essentially combine the social media footprints that the athletes have, the teams and leagues have, and find ways to incentivize their athletes to promote the games and the tune-in and the sports and the streaming in ways that we don't see today because increasingly this world is about customer acquisition. In media, There's a startup I find very interesting called All City. 
And All City is basically a collection of superfans. They started in Denver, I believe. Collection of superfans who follow the Broncos, the Rockies, the Nuggets, um, and the Colorado Avalanche. And they're on YouTube doing videos. They do podcasts. They cover the games live on X. They're unabashedly homers. They don't purport to be journalists. And during COVID in Denver, the site is called DNVR. During COVID, they purchased a sports bar, which is also called DNVR. And the sports bar is the home of the community. They put their podcast studios there. They have watch parties. And it's a real example of the sort of digital and physical phenomenon that you've chronicled on some of the other podcasts. Absolutely. And I believe that kind of work, aggregating your audience, serving your audience, serving them in a multimodal way, right? Audio, video, data, um, alerts. This is all necessary and is going to be the differentiator or, or a key differentiator between which which sports uh, wind up being truly successful and which may be also rands. Women's sports almost by definition have had to do this because they haven't had the same attention, media rights, etc. But that model is going to proliferate. Community, I believe, is very, very important to the point that you've made. And I think a lot of people, you know, all over the world recognize that more and more people look at their sports heroes and heroines as, to a great extent, what you basically said as superheroes. They're sort of the new Iron Man and Wonder Woman <laughs> in this particular world, but they're relatable. They don't live off in Krypton or some other place, um, and you can see them in front of you. And this entire idea of re-aggregating around individuals is a big part of digital media because, as I've always said, analog media, you started with a car when you hacked it until you got a stake. In digital media, you start with a piece of mince and you build a hamburger. And in this particular case, it might be players, et cetera. I'm not suggesting you cook players. But you know, it's one of those things that are important. But the other thing that I think is very important with this, both offline, online, and community and sort of interface, is to the point you made earlier, in many, many countries, the one thing that now connects countries in a polarized world is sports. And I would say with the exception of Taylor Swift, it's sports. And obviously, you know, when Taylor Swift shows up at Kansas City Games, that becomes the big, you know, communal thing. But sports also very global. And, you know, you've been thinking about it from a global perspective. So yesterday, I was looking at the 10 most researched terms on Wikipedia in 2023. Six of the 10 have an Indian influence, interestingly. Two of them are Bollywood movies, like Bataan. Four of them are cricket. Um, when I was at ESPN, we purchased Crick Info. And one of my proudest, I got to go to the Cricket World Cup in 2011 in Mumbai. I got to go to 2015 in Melbourne, Australia. And one of my most proud moments, this is sort of a boyhood dream, was that we could really, truly cover sports in a global way, be the worldwide leader that ESPN was. And I, I'm sure you too, I've been fascinated this year 
between the IPL and the ICC World Cup that the broadcasters, whether it's Reliance Geo or Star Sports Disney, um, that they actually made the matches available for free by mobile and generated audience. You know, people are agog that Amazon got 15 million people for last Thursday's um, Dallas-Seattle Thursday Night Football game. The Australia-India final for cricket generated like four times that number. Yeah, it was almost 50 million concurrent people watching. Insane. Yeah, and you know, to a great extent, that's this whole idea of whether it's you know, in a smaller version, F1, larger version, the IPL. In fact, the there's going to be, I think, 2024, the big event is in the United States. And I remember growing up, people would make fun of me and said, listen, you're living in America, stop talking about cricket, right? People make fun of me about this today. They say nobody cares. Yeah. But the beauty of sports, when I was in Mumbai, India beat Sri Lanka in the final. It was like being in Yankee Stadium. It was that yes. kind of atmosphere. But, but of course, it was even, you know, India versus Pakistan is probably the closest thing on earth to Michigan, Ohio State. Yes, it, it absolutely is. And I think to a great extent, this entire world you know, is changing. And you know, you've seen this. I mean, through Crick Info, it also eventually, Disney ended up owning Hotstar, and a big part of the Hotstar was the IPL. And when they lost the IPL online rights, you know, Hotstar subscribers plunged. <laughs> So, you know, to an extent, people were sort of surprised that the future of Disney was cricket. So you were early. Yeah. And unfortunately, Disney's now is like probably will divest from that for yeah. a second time. They've just not been able to figure that part out. But they've had a lot of, from an audience perspective, had a lot of success. And I would argue that the free delivery on mobile is part of that community building exactly. that you do for the future. And I think people don't realize how the rest of the world leapfrogged into mobile. And most people, that is television for them. Yes, mobile. totally. Uh, right. Which is, you know, when people say, hey, it's for the young, I said, for the most of the world, it is the only thing they got, uh, which is, you know, which is, which is pretty extraordinary. So now moving to the third point, which is a little bit different. While the first one had to do to a great extent with technology, the second one with community, the third one has to do with character, as far as I can tell. And you want to speak a little bit about integrity? Yeah. So in a polarized world, the beauty of sports is that it has winners and losers. And in general, those are not in dispute. You know, the Bucks beat the Knicks last night to advance in the in-season tournament. You're not, you won't turn on a news network in the U.S. and be told otherwise. You won't log on to a social media network and say find fake out. News. Right, fake yeah. news. There's no fake news. It's real. So um, it's critical that fans continue to believe in the game's outcome. And I don't think this is a trivial concern. Sports needs to protect that. As legalized sports betting gets bigger and bigger, as more money flows into sports from wealthy individuals and sovereign wealth funds and private equity, there inevitably are going to be opportunists looking to find the weak links to advance themselves and potentially compromise the sport. Will it be referees? Will it be young college players? 
And it isn't that it, it's not that anybody in sports doesn't understand that or understand the risk. I just feel that they're going to have to elevate, accelerate, in, in, add more investment to maintain that point of view. In addition, and this is not trivial, following the pandemics, we have to protect the belief that we are safe in these arenas and stadiums. Following October 7, we have to make sure that people feel that they're going to be protected from potential terrorist threats. And what could be a more conspicuous event than to do something in sports? You know, sports fans want, they want their leagues and athletes to be authentic. And in this social media environment, fragmented that's an opportunity and a risk. You know, you recall in October 2019, Daryl Morey, you know, you know, posted the tweet heard around the world where he came out in support of Hong Kong. And that kind of stuff could happen anytime now and is a real wild card for leagues and their players, etc. Yeah, and you're beginning to see that. What you're now having is there were two things as sports has become more global. You also have this multipolar ownership, right? So, so much of the ownership now is Mideast. Uh, most of the money in cricket is now India. It no longer comes out of the UK. India decides on cricket. You know, India has a different perspective than the UK, which has a different perspective than Dubai, which is a different perspective than the US. Sports is the currency for reasons you say, interface, community. It's the only communal sort of world. So it's the most influential thing, you know, which is, you know, to a great extent, you know, my basic belief is Elon should have spent his $44 billion buying sports teams versus Twitter. <laughs> it might have worked out better for him. <laughs> yes, yes, it's, it's true. But, you know, who the hell knows? It's good the sports team survived. But, you know, to a great extent, that is very, very important. Now, you know, when I'm going to ask you a question about your old place of work. Uh, which is when you were the 21 years at ESPN. And ESPN is very much in the news. You know, recently they've separated their earnings. They continue to be growing and being very profitable. But as ESPN has to compete with the Amazons and Apples, et cetera, what do you see as the future of ESPN broadly? And I know you're no longer there, but, you know, uh, you've been very involved in building it. I believe ESPN has a significant opportunity to serve as a one-stop shop aggregator for sports, both the rights that they have and as a place to find other sports. One thing we didn't cover today is in the fragmentation we're seeing in sports, I have a friend who has to subscribe to seven different services to see every Arsenal match. Right. So that's a big conundrum. ESPN is synonymous with sports. It has the biggest audience. It has the most money. It has the backing of Disney. It has the ability to be single-mindedly focused and valuable to sports fans. Yes. And that's certainly the heritage of the company. But again, I'm on the outside, so I can tell you what I see as the opportunity. Is that what they're going to do? I don't right. know. But I do believe there is a path for them 
And in so many ways, it's because of all the things that you mentioned of just what sports means. Right. And to a great extent, they're run by very smart people. And they have had, you know, both amazing people who have worked there. And to your three points, they have, and I'll link still with integrity, they can create community. And they have basically done that. And all these years, they have basically pioneered in interfaces. Right, exactly. Right. And the the uh, the CTO of the Walt Disney Company, Aaron LaBerge, is one of the people who built the original products that I worked on. So they have that they have tremendous talent and continuity in the ranks at their company. Bill Koenig, who is the leading media executive at the NBA said recently that we're going to see more change in the next five years than we've seen in the last 30. And what's been astonishing to me is just in the last year, we saw the implosion of the Pac-12 conference, which is over 100 years old. That, you know, by collateral damage, it's not clear what the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all on January 1st, what that's going to be. The PGA Tour fought with the Saudis and Live Golf and then announced, no, no, we're going to merge with them. So we're seeing a level of instability that I've not seen in sports in my career. We, we, we didn't even cover college sports here. So this is a space that is worth watching. And again, to the Steve Jobs point that we talked about earlier, the status quo is not going to hold. The winners are going to be those who are going to take chances and who are going to be able to connect with this incredible diaspora of sports fans all around the world. Fantastic. Thank you, John. We've had the opportunity to listen and learn from John Kozner, and John has basically shared several points with us. One is how the future of sports will continue to be about experience and interface, and to a certain extent, sports will follow gaming. Uh, we will also have gaming slash gambling altogether combined in the interactive world. The importance of community the fact that today people follow sports players, reaggregating these, creating communities which merge on and offline. We had an example of DNVR, which is a super fan community in Denver. And finally, in a world where this, which is sports, is the biggest business, the common business, and the communal fireplace, is how to make sure that the fireplace has built with real wood and real integrity and doesn't basically set fire on the rest of the world. Thank you, John. Thank you, Rashad. It's, it's been a pleasure to be able to join you on the podcast. What Next, a publicist group podcast produced by Prodigious UK.